Today's show is made possible by Fittery. You've probably purchased some dress and casual shirts online before, and sadly, you've probably had to return many of those items because they just didn't fit. Now, you do realize, of course, that billions are spent returning all of these poorly fitting clothes, right? Well, the madness can stop. The hassle of having to return all of this stuff can stop. Well, this is where Fittery comes in. They've devised a process by which you can almost guarantee that the dress and casual shirts you buy online will fit. And from brand names you'll recognize, Brooks Brothers, J. Crew, Land's End, Ralph Lauren, to name just a few. And they're adding more brands every day. Now, I myself use Fittery, and setting up my account was very simple and took almost zero time. Just go to fittery.com intrepid, complete the quick size tool, and you'll soon be ordering dress and casual shirts that actually fit. Again, that's fittery.com intrepid. You'll love Fittery, and you'll actually enjoy and look forward to ordering clothes online again. All right, let's do this. We're going live in five, four, three. Oh my, just so many business podcasts out there. How can I possibly know where to begin? Here at Intrepid Business, we are about stripping away all of the usual boring fluff and instead focus on showcasing real people doing real business, achieving amazing things the ones truly changing the world, the instigators making a dent, the people changing how we do sales and marketing, leading innovation, the people redefining leadership. But who are these people? Why do they do what they do? How do they do what they do? Find out on Intrepid Business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Intrepid Business. I am your host, Todd Schneck. Uh, This is going to be a critically important conversation. I've been podcasting and conducting interviews such as this now for, gosh, I want to say seven, eight years, and I've never really talked about this subject, and that's that's unfortunate, and we're going to rectify that today. So important. I imagine... A lot of you listening to this are struggling with this in some way, shape, or form, whether it's you or whether it's something that you're working with or caring for. And so this is this is really, really important. So uh, I appreciate you tuning in and listening to this. I'm joined today by Dennis C. Miller. He's a motivational speaker, author, leadership coach, and CEO. Dennis, welcome to the show. Todd, great to be here. You know, it's great to have you. Thanks for carving out some time to join me. Uh, Dennis, you are also the author of a book called Mopping Floors to CEO, From Hopelessness and Failure to Happiness and Success. So I look forward to talking about that as well. Before we get into our important conversation, Dennis, talk a bit about you and your background. Your book is 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 an autobiography, so the book talks a lot about your life and all the lessons learned. But for the benefit of the audience, a quick overview of who Dennis C. Miller is. Yeah, just, thank you, Todd. I spent 25 years as a healthcare executive at the age of 37 years old. I, I ran a major medical center uh, in New Jersey, for seven years, I was a corporate executive, had a successful consulting practice, 
became the president and CEO of another major teaching hospital and ran their medical center foundation to great levels of success. In the past 12 years, I've been working with nonprofit charitable organizations across the country on lots of ways of engaging their board and helping them raise money and things like that. What people didn't know about me, at the age of 24 years old, I lived pretty much on the street and cleaned bathrooms full-time at Vermont Inn. So the title, Mop and Floors, the CEO. So the book talks about my journey from a traumatic childhood and how I overcame that to eventually you know, going to school, graduating Phi Beta Kappa, graduating from an Ivy League grad school after graduating at the bottom of my high school class uh, 10 yeah. years earlier. Yeah, well, it's a great story. <laughs> and and it is a motivational one, no doubt about yeah. it. The, I mean, what we're really talking about today is mental health and yes. how prevalent it is in our societies, specifically in our business world. I think it's I think it's more of an issue than than most people listening will even recognize. And that's why this is such an important conversation. I mean, talk about your experience with both depression and anxiety from not only your own context, but for, <laughs> frankly, probably for most people listening to this. Well, the more, Todd, thank you, for the more I talk to people, whether it's colleagues, business professionals, or friends, you have an honest conversation with them. Either they reveal stuff about their self or their, their life, either as a young or oppressed circumstances, or someone in their family. So it's an extremely prevalent issue that we've still kind of kept in the dark, still kept as a stigma, as an issue. And it was an issue for me for many years. I, even as a CEO, and I was going for professional help because of the trauma I experienced as a kid, I still was afraid for people to see it. However, that is beginning to change here. I do know this as a business owner, business executive, that there's far too much absenteeism, lost productivity because people are anxious or depressed. And the more we can encourage people to speak up, the more we expand our wellness programs from just you know cholesterol screenings and, and high blusher screenings to depression screenings and say, listen, it's common. It's not a stigma. It's not a character flaw that we should be able to have conversations because it's, you know, none of us are raised, you know, how to raise kids, how to have relationships. It's not part of our schooling. So it is a common major issue for all of us in our country and society as a whole to deal with it. And we'd be better off economically, financially, and spiritually if we did deal with it better. Is it correct to label depression and anxiety as mental health issues, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not afraid of it. I mean, if you think, Todd, of the chain, you know, we used to, the term was mental illness, which has connotation to people, sort of like schizophrenia or, or psychosis. The word mental health came as sort of a, a the new word over the over decade, and then, you know, now the word behavioral health care comes in. But clearly, you know, whether it's physical health or mental health, there, you know, you have to have both in order to be productive and successful and happy. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not afraid of the term either one of them. I think it's important to have a conversation about it. Yes. Well, I think it's critical to boldly declare what it is. But but the key point here is that it is normal. I, I'm I'm yes. broadcasting this from the 39th floor of a high rise in Chicago. And as I look right. out my window, I'm looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven high high rise buildings, all with workers, yes. <laughs> all with corporate headquarters and all that. How prevalent is this problem, Dennis? I mean, I imagine that as I look in these windows, windows of all these people that I'm going to assume that well over half of them are dealing with a, quote, mental illness. Right? I mean, it's, I think it's very, very common. I think we need to say, hey, this is real. We can't be afraid of it. We can't hide behind it. It should not be a stigma. And only until we address it and, and tackle this thing head on can we ever begin to get a handle on it and start turning it around. I, Todd, I agree with you. And actually, the studies have been estimate, estimated that 50% of corporate executives have sometime in the past few years of their life 
or currently are dealing with, with some form of depression uh, and anxiety. So if corporate executives are dealing with it at 50%, you can imagine sort of the rest of the, of the, the workplace world, and, and that, that's an issue for us. And so, you know, we're here we are talking about, you know, our economy, economic growth, and maintaining our country, etc. That depression is what cancer used to be. You know, think about it. Years ago, cancer was a stigma. Years ago. You didn't talk about cancer on TV. You didn't talk about cancer at all. People were afraid to go to your house. And I think that, you know, when, when people ask you, you know, if you had a broken leg, would you go to a doctor? The answer is, of course. Well, if you got sort of a mental health issue with depression or anxiety disorder, why wouldn't you do the same thing? It is normal. It's not a stigma. It's not a, it's not a character flaw. I can't say this over again. It is not a character flaw. And the more... We can support each other as brothers and sisters. The more we can support each other, the healthier we'll be, the better off our country will be, the better off our families will be, the better our life will be. So, yes, it's a big, big issue that's kind of still kept in the dark. I agree with you that the tide has turned in that we're looking at that less as a stigma, but let's be honest, it still is one. It's still critical. What are we, What are we? and we is defined broadly as society and our culture, what are we still doing wrong that it's still viewed that way? I mean, I, that, we, have to solve, we have to fix that problem. One of the things, Todd, that I know is you read, whether it's TV headlines, radio headlines, or newspaper headlines, you see a lot of stories about, you know, someone who's been a shooter and they're, and they're, and they're mentally ill. Yeah. And I believe statistics say that only 5% of the violence in our country is from people that have a, some type of mental disorder. So we're still into this thing about, you know, the mentally ill. And, and, and I think that, you know, it's all degrees. I mean, there's mental illness uh, of, you know, schizophrenia and psychosis, which are difficult and long-term treatments. But there's a lot of us we have every day in our life, extraordinary stress, anxiety about issues. We have life circumstances that are provoking, bringing up our own past relationships with our parents or siblings or teachers or bosses, whatever. So we still have a longer way to go because it's still fearful. We still have a fearful. And I think the more... I know that more I speak to people like you, Todd, and others, and people send open up about their own life with their families, I think the better off we are, and you get closer, and you feel healthier, and you feel whole. So it's still an issue that's got to be talked about. And it can't be saying, you know, just, you know, just go, you know, get better, just go out and do it. And it's not about just removing the stigma. It's got to be conversations about how common it is for people. I think the more people speak up about it, I think the better off we'll be. I agree with you. You talked earlier about how you, at one point in your career, needed to seek some professional help due to some issues related to your, your earlier life. I, I'm, you can count me as one of those people who used to be afraid of it and, and would, 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 would never consider seeking professional help. And, and I perhaps saw it as a sign of weakness and certainly I didn't want to admit it to anyone. But my right. wife and I lost a baby several years ago and, and oh. she oh. recommended that, that we go see some help on it just to help us deal with it. And, and naturally, as a man, I say, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm a man. I can deal with it. Well, the, the help was so amazing in terms of making us kind of go through and deal with that. I, I, I set that up to ask the, the bigger question. We just said that 50% of executives are dealing with some sort of mental health issue, which means that there's an awful lot of people below the executive level that are dealing with that too. And, and But most will never seek professional help for two reasons. One is they're really afraid of the stigma of that. Two, I don't really know how they, if they really understand how to even begin to, to seek the right kind of help. Uh, so can you walk us through, uh, uh, I guess, for those listening who say, yeah, all right, I, I need to talk to someone. Where do they begin? How do they start that research process to go to the right person? And, and how, when, when can we get over this, 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 this 
hill of this still being something people are afraid of admitting publicly? Right. Well, first of all, again, I, though I have tremendous experience with this through my life history, and obviously in, in being a healthcare executive, but I'm not a clinician, but I'd say this. You know, certainly there's a lot of us, you know, have certainly, you know, most, a lot of people have certainly, you know, mood issues, uh, mood during the wintertime versus summertime and things like that here. So it may be just be, you know, sort of a week or two. However, if you find yourself experiencing a sort of a, you know, a, a sort of a down mood, loss of appetite, loss of sleeping for a pre- prolonged period of time, a couple weeks here, or anything else, or certainly anxiety disorder, what I would suggest you do is begin, talk to your best friend or a close friend. Find out, at least, at least don't, don't struggle alone. That's the first thing. Number two, begin to talk to some people about potential people in your community. There are a lot of people. There are licensed clinical social workers. There are psychologists. There are mental health associations. Give them a call to find out. What, give, give your health insurance plan a call to find out who's in your, who's in your network, so to speak. I, I think and you, know, you, you want to begin to at least, hey, why not get some support? Why struggle alone? So the first thing you want to do is at least reach out and have a conversation about this and see that you may need a very short-term session, one or two sessions, and kind of get over your situation and become much better. Some issues that people have are, are more longer ingrained, become part of their character personality from you know, what the events were like when you were a kid or, or an adolescent or even through adulthood. So I begin to at least have a conversation with a friend or colleague Open up about what you're having and realizing that it's very normal. The most important thing, Todd, and you hit the nail on the head here, that this is normal. It's not abnormal. And you would find that you're not alone. And when people find out, when people feel they're alone, what happens is that, you know, alone, if I, aloneness leads to a lot of feeling disconnected. Disconnected leads to substance abuse. Disconnected leads to over, over acting out. So, you know, we have a lot of people in this country, in this world that are feeling very disconnected. So you want to feel connected. You want to feel connected to your friends and colleagues, connect to people at work. I'm not saying you got to go run to your boss to say, geez, I may be depressed what to do. However, you clearly want to be able to trust somebody. And what happened to me as a youngster was eventually after going through uh, self-admitting myself as a 20-year-old to a psychiatric hospital out of despair and getting out of the hospital in about a month, I finally, out of being distraught, out of being on the bottom of my life emotionally, I reached out to a priest who actually came to visit me, and through there I began the process. So I, I ended up opening up to someone out of desperation, but you don't have to get there. So I would say first thing to do is have a conversation with a friend or a colleague, maybe a family member, maybe a mom or dad or brother or sister or uncle. Find someone you can trust and just have a conversation with them. And I think that there's a world of resources and a world of professionals willing to help you from there. Well, that's uh, that's great stuff. Thanks for sharing that. And I think just having that conversation in and of itself <laughs> is is a critically important step in there in terms of, as you said, getting reconnected to people. So, all right, Dennis C. Miller will return after this short break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by the new international best-selling book, Leadership Rigor. This groundbreaking book will turn everything you think you know about leadership upside down. Leadership Rigor explores how to achieve breakthrough performance and productivity through leading yourself, leading teams, and leading at the organizational level. Author Erica Piedler outlines for her readers how to become change-ready leaders. Change-ready leaders are capable of embracing challenges with agility and optimism because they have the tools, models, and language to assess, structure, and facilitate solutions. Leadership is a skill that can be learned and practiced. Take the rigor challenge and ask yourself, do you want to lead mindfully and skillfully? Or do you want to subject your teams and organizations to your unstructured thoughts and approaches? The choice is yours. 
Will you rigor it? You can purchase Leadership Rigor on Amazon or by visiting ericpetler.com. All right, I am back with Dennis C. Miller, motivational speaker, author, leadership coach, CEO, and the author of a new book, Mopping Floors to CEO from Hopelessness and Failure to Happiness and Success. All right, so... Dennis, you touched on several of these in the top half of the show, but I want to I want to ask you to kind of review these things again for the benefit of the audience. Uh, how how does mental health, and I suspect a majority of the mental health we're talking about here, does manifest itself in depression and anxiety in a workplace? But if you're in the workplace and, and you're in the water cooler and you say, "Oh my gosh, the boss was a real jerk this morning," I can't believe he acted that way, or I can't believe she handled this problem this way. I can't believe how they or she or he dealt with this problem. Chances are these people are all dealing with some sort of an issue that we could ultimately classify as as a mental health issue. Is is that a fair assessment? I mean, how else does this manifest itself in the workplace? Well, it does quite a bit. I mean, and this is easier said than done. Sure. Is is trying not to take it personal, which is easy to say when you're in the middle, when your boss is being critical of you. So that's a hard thing to do. And your boss may not always be suffering from, you know, mental health or mental illnesses, but they certainly, certainly be having some personality issues. And certainly as a boss and as, as an executive, you know, it's a lonely club. Being a CEO, being an executive, not just a CEO, being an executive is a lot of pressure on them, the salaries on them, so a lot of people look at them, and sometimes they're not handling it well. So it's easier said than done, but try to take, try not to react to it, like shooting from it, try not to react and going to go after them, and and just, you know, try not to personally. I know that's easier said than done, but in the workplace, that's important. I think it's also important to be able to trust someone in the workplace and say, geez, did you see, you know, I don't know, did you meet with Sally today? Did you meet with Harry today? And she's, you know, kind of a bad mood. And they must say, yeah, something happened to this. So I think you want to try to defer, but try not to make it personal. That's, it's, I know it's easier said than done, but you want to try to give yourself some emotional distance from that. That's one thing. Yeah, no, that's that. That's great. You know, I have a question for you, Dennis. Uh, I, I mean, I understand that you are a leadership coach. And so right. when an executive or CEO or someone in the management comes to you and says, help me, think I, I need some leadership coaching here. And how many of them really don't need business coaching? How many of them really need connection to a human being that's willing to listen to their struggles and their problems? I mean, is, is, is am I on the right course with that question i mean how much how much of 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 the leadership coaching you do is really helping someone through struggles with depression well it's a little bit of both you know again i i i'm certainly not you know an authorized sure, uh, clinician sure. uh, or a um, i'm an amateur psychoanalyst you know but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, a lot i coach a lot of chief executive officers and a lot of board members okay but a lot of it really does come down to, honestly, it's not business coaching as much as what they ask for. It's, it's trying to give that person some honest feedback as to how other people are experiencing, as an example. So certainly no names you mentioned. Coaching one CEO, I had to try to give him feedback by saying, let me meet with a few members of your team. Let me get some feedback for you and then give that. To, and in one case here, this person was undermining the COO and decisions that were being made. In another case, something else was going on. So one of the best things you can do as a coach is A, to, to be empathetic to them, to hear what they've got to say, make sure that they feel that you're listening to them. Number two, to feel that they can trust you. But it's important 
in all my work, to be honest with people and give them some feedback. So in one case, I represented a major CEO of a very large, well-known organization. And his problem was not necessarily mental illness or mental health, but he just didn't shut up. He just kept talking. It was uh, all the time. And I had to say to him, you know, sometimes when you're an executive and, you, and the board says yes, you got to stop talking. And other times with board chairs, I've had to say to them, you know, I hate to tell you this, but people describe your meetings as torturous. They go on too long. It's uh, boring. It's an end. So what people need the most on is two things. They need feedback so as to how they're being experienced because the only way, Todd, I know of how I would change his life when someone presented me and I could see, oh, I see how I am. And then obviously number two is that they've, you've got to give them some how-tos. Because yeah. not, not, not everybody needs to know what to do. I find few people ask for my advice really want what to do. How do I do that? And so that's become the question. So yeah, that's what's coaching about, whether you're coaching in sports and about how to hit a ball or throw a ball or catch a ball. But in life or in leadership, it's about listening, giving feedback, giving some suggestions, and then seeing how it works. And that's, that's kind of what I do as a leadership coach. And that only came about, the only way I was able to come about, Todd, because that I, as a young guy, had many, many issues of depression, had to work really hard to overcome it, being in lots of therapy and, and psychotherapy, and then obviously working on my life goals. And eventually, you know, my business career took off and my family took off and my kids did well. And But throughout that process, I always still had issues that I had to deal with about my own depression and anxieties about life. It doesn't go away. And so it's, it's an ongoing issue to deal with. But I think that's my advice to people, you know, Get, get some advice. Get, talk to a friend. Relationships is probably the first place. Just start with a friend. Start with a friend. Or become a friend. Become someone's friend. It yeah. may be one of the goals we go today. Try to become someone else's friend. And you may say, hey, you know what? So what's the matter with them? But maybe they just don't have anybody to listen to, feel connected. Maybe that's possible. Oh, I, you, you know that's a, that, that's a huge part of it. So you said something at the top half of the show that I thought was really interesting in, in a new way for, for me. And I hope everyone listening to kind of think about their overall health is that you really have two kinds of health. You have your physical health and you have your mental health. And we all understand understand the things we can and should do to improve our physical health. But I think most people never really think about what they can do to invest in their emotional health. So, so I, I, two part question, I assume you agree that investing in your emotional health is critical to improving your personal growth, happiness and success. But, but two, how in the heck do you actually do that? Well, first of all, I, again, I, I learned through life. I learned a lot of issues through life. And one of the things I learned, and so one of the things that I knew somehow intuitively early on, I knew that if I got my life together, you know, I kind of grew up the whole thing was, you know, you know, being one, the concept of oneness, you know, mind and spirit, mind and body, all that kind of stuff. Here. Right, right. I knew that, you know, my emotional life was my reality. It's how, how I dealt with things and felt about myself and everything. So I did view going to therapists, going to psychotherapy or analysis, I did view that as investing in my emotional life like other people are going to invest in the Wall Street and the marketplace and looking for return. So I, thank God, was smart enough to invest in that. Now, one of the things I did was uh, it wasn't easy, but I you know, would seek out professionals that I thought were good. And like anything else, there are great professionals and there's some that are not as good or not as trained. And I made a commitment that I was going to be open and honest. 
I, I know I got to a point in life as a young kid where I fell down so bad in life that I had, you know, lived the life I did, suffered through abuse, self-medicated myself to all forms of, you know, recreational drugs and everything else like that. And my life fell out, fell, the bottom fell out here. And I vowed that I would never, ever do that again. I would deal with how I felt. And when you start to deal with how you feel, and you, here's what I've learned. Emotional intelligence is the best intelligence one can have. Mm. Think about this for a second. Have, I've seen a lot of successful people, and sure, Todd, I'm sure you and your listeners have seen a lot of successful people, so-called success, that aren't happy. But have you ever, ever seen a happy person who's not successful? <laughs> and I would say to you that, 90, I, don't, I don't know what percentage, but it's a high percentage of people that have medical illnesses, it's really a byproduct of their depression or their emotional life. People with aches and pains, often it's easy to express their back pain, their leg pain, their pain because they can't deal with it. It's denied their depression issues. So, and a lot of issues are hypochondriac. So I would say that, that the more you can invest in yourself, the more you will prosper, the more you will grow, the more you will develop, the, you'll be a better friend, a better partner, a husband, a father, a mother, a better boss, a better coworker. So you, a good emotional life is the richest thing on earth. And that's, that's, that's what my book's about. And that's what my story's about. And so there's nothing wrong with being successful in the material world and having money and, and possessions, but it's much better to be emotionally healthy. You, you'll, you'll, you'll go on forever in your life being a healthy, happy person. Well, amen to that. So to an executive, ah, frankly, to anyone in business listening to this who, who says, okay, all right, I, I need to tackle this. I need to, I need to get, I need to invest in my mental health and, and all of that. Uh, but they're still worried about how it impacts their professional career. Any, any counsel there, anything that, for them to be thinking about as, as they, as they ponder how to tackle this issue without worrying about how it's going to impact them professionally? Yeah. Uh, again, I would say the first thing to do would be to admit to themselves or their family or friends that they want some help, okay? Number two, I don't think you have to be bringing up and broadcasting to your boss or your workplace that you're suffering some depression right now. I think you may want to touch upon in HR, but it's, you're protected legally from this year. I think what I'd say is explore potential therapeutic relationship that's helpful to you. I'm sure people are observing you in the workplace. I'm sure they may feel that you're not for yourself here. And so I'll give you an example of something that came to my attention many years ago when I was a CEO of this major medical center. We had a great employee was in charge of facilities or actually number two person in the whole facility infrastructure. And then people said to me, they were complaining, they want to get him fired, and then he was acting out. And I said, that can't be, there's something right, that's not right here. I said, meet with him, find out what's going on. They met with him and said, listen, turns out he's admitting he's got a drinking problem, but he's having problems with his marriage. I said, here's what I want. I want you to tell him that I guarantee him he's got a job here. I want, you, I want him to, if he goes for help and gets better. He went for help. He never knew it actually came from me, but he became one of our best employees. You owe it to your family. You owe it to your children. You owe it to your spouse and partners. You owe it to yourself to take care of yourself. If you take care of yourself, everything else will take care of itself. And as if you are an executive in a company, one of the things I'd say to you is if, from a business side only, forget the feel-good atmosphere of this, Todd, if you invest in your employees' wellness, particularly with issues of depression and anxiety, and start promoting the fact that it's not a character flaw, it's not stigma. Talk about it, bring up the date. 
I bet you your lost productivity will go sky high in terms of being increased productivity. Your rate of absenteeism will go dramatically down. Your bottom line will improve. Right now, most companies are spending more indirect costs on absenteeism and lost productivity because of depression and anxiety. We, got to, we can turn that around. We can have a better company, a better country, and we all live, can live happily and better lives. And ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what we want for each other. Oh, there's no doubt about it, uh, Dennis. And, and talk about a situation that, that builds trust and loyalty to, to not only the the person who does that, but to the organization itself. It's it's so critically important. All right. Uh, so, Dennis, we're running low on time, but uh, we, we've touched on your book, Mopping Floors to CEO from Helplessness and Failure to Happiness and Success throughout this conversation. But but I want to close on it. Uh, I don't want people to listen to that title and say, oh, this is just a book about happiness. It, it, it certainly is that, but it's so much more. So so why did you write it? Who's it for? Ty, listen, I wrote I wrote uh, this book because um, I wanted to help inspire and um, provide hope to a lot of people in the general public here. So the intent was for, for everybody to read this book. People have given me phenomenal feedback on it. It really talks about a journey that I took. It's, it both has some extremely interesting and funny aspects of the book here. And there's, there's, I'm sharing 10 lessons of life that helped me achieve success and helped me achieve happiness. The, the, the moral of the story is that you can, regardless of your past or present circumstances, you can overcome them. The key to my book was that I accept the responsibility for myself. I did envision my future and built a plan on how to get that. I talk about the importance of friends and mentors. I talk about how that hard work, there's not a substitute hard work. Uh, I talked about how building one's self-confidence one step at a time helps leading to achievements. And at the end of the day, I realized that self-worth was not based or was not based upon just what possessions you have or how much money you're making or your title. I learned that that my set worth was based upon who I was as a person and what I did with my life. And so I think it's been a great book for everybody to be, read. People have read it, tell me, Dan, how much they enjoyed the book. And uh, I hope your readers will take a chance and take a look at the book as well. Thank you very much, Todd, for that opportunity to talk about the book. Absolutely. Dennis C. Miller, motivational speaker, leadership coach, CEO, and author of Moppin' Floors to CEO from Hopelessness and Failure to Happiness and Success. Dennis, again, Great to have you. Thanks for stopping by and joining us. Thank you, Todd, for having me. Good luck to you and to all your listeners. I appreciate that. Before I let you go, how can people contact you? Should they have questions and where can they get their hands on a copy of the book? Well, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, all online, any major bookstore online, they can order the book through, through Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Get a hold of me, uh, Dennis at DennisCMiller.com. C is like in Charles. Or call my office at 973 784 3693. Be happy to be a speaker or for their organizations or talk to them in any way they like. DennisCMiller.com. Thank you. All right. Again, on behalf of my guest, Dennis C. Miller, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Business. <laughs>